information is powerful. And, and when you know that your child has something, has a condition that needs attention, the sooner you give that baby or that condition the attention it needs, the higher likelihood that, you know, your child can be well in life. Newborn screening is so important. You're listening to the voice of Caroline Netcham, who currently lives in Virginia with her husband and two children. She graduated from the Old Dominion University in Virginia with a degree in history and studied anthropology. She became a stay-at-home mom after her daughter was born and shortly after was inducted into medical motherhood. She spent the next several years caring for her daughter as she had her ups and downs in her health. She also gave birth to her son as well, who are now 7 and 5 years old. In this podcast episode, Caroline will share her story and give advice to new moms in similar situation, caring for a child with a genetic condition. Her message, you are not alone. Hello, this is the Newborn Screening Spotlight. This podcast is about the advancement of rare disease research told by health professionals, researchers, parents, and advocates. This podcast is for you to learn how newborn screening research saves the lives of babies every day through the discovery of new technology and treatment. You will hear stories from experts who treat babies, the families who care for them, and the researchers who make it all happen. We are your co-hosts. I am Dr. Ki Chan. And I'm Dr. Amy Brower. We're from the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network, also known as the MBSTRN. Our work is supported by one of the institutes at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, called the Eunice Kennedy Shriver National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, also known as NICHD. Dr. Chan and I are from the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics, also known as ACMG, and ACMG leads the MBSTRN. Screening babies saves lives every day, and research advances newborn screening by developing new technologies to screen, diagnose, and treat. MBSTRN helps accelerate research by creating tools, resources, and expertise for researchers, doctors, families, patients, and advocates. Hi, Caroline. Thank you so much for being on our show today on our podcast. We're very delighted to have you here and to share your story. Your story can resonate with so many families out there going through very similar phases of caretaking, caregiving with a child with a condition. I think your story will help other families to learn some tips from you and and how you went on your journey. To give our audience some background about uh, your caretaking experience, your newborn was diagnosed with a condition that wasn't being screened through newborn screening at the time. Correct. Can you tell us us more about how you found out about the positive diagnosis and what happened next? Yes. So my daughter was born in October of 2013 in Virginia. And at that time, the newborn screening panel did not have her condition. Um, And she was, she was later on diagnosed with severe combined immune deficiency, um, or SCID for short. So her newborn screening came back clear. And within three months of, of her birth, she ended up being diagnosed and basically Um, when you're born with skin, you don't have any immune system at all. And so these children are completely 
immunocompromised, hence the name severe combined immunodeficiency. And they are susceptible to getting all kinds of illnesses, common colds, flu, I mean, anything that a normal person can get. And they can also get sick from things that normally don't make healthy people sick. Born, we thought that she was normal, healthy. And um, the first time we realized that there was something wrong was at her one month checkup when she wasn't really gaining weight and she was feeding really well. And so I wasn't sure why that was. And so her pediatrician wanted me to bring her back two weeks later. Um, he said, you know, it's probably nothing, but we just want to make sure. And two weeks later, she still wasn't really gaining that much weight. She had also developed a cough, she had loose stools and so there were kind of a few symptoms that were going on. They didn't really seem connected with each other. We weren't sure what was going on. And uh, her pediatrician then decided to do like a simple blood test, a CBC on her. Um, and that came back that she had almost no lymphocytes. I think she had like 50 to 100. And a three-month-old baby is supposed to have four to 6,000, something like that. And I mean, even the ones that she had weren't actually functional, but we didn't know that at the time. So we were immediately hospitalized and uh, the immunologist at the hospital there um, immediately knew that she probably had some kind of severe immunodeficiency, but he wasn't sure exactly what kind. He had done more specific blood tests um, with her immune system to determine what the issue was. And within hours of getting those results, he said that she most likely had skid. Sent out for genetic testing. We also got her blood sent um, to a doctor who can test for her specific kind of skid, which is ADA skid. Within four days of that, it came back that she in fact had no ADA, which, which would confirm that she had ADA skid. Skid or severe combined immune deficiency, it's, it's a group of genetic disorders. Um, and that means that there are actually many different types of genes that can be passed on, um, many different genes that account for having or for, for ending up with having no immune system. And so basically severe combined immune deficiency is a group of disorders where um, a person does not have any immune system. And there are many different genes that can result in that. And so specifically for for us, my husband and I are both carriers for ADA skid. And ADA stands for adenosine deaminase. And when you have ADA skid, it is actually a metabolic disorder. Um, your body does not make a particular enzyme. And this enzyme that it's not making is used to basically tone down or get rid of certain toxins. So when you don't have, when your body is not making ADA, then your body's, there's certain kinds of toxins that grow in your body. And those toxins end up uh, killing off your white cells. And that's what leads to not having an immune system for ADA skid. Then there are other types of skid um, that has nothing to do with ADA. You know, X-Link skid, there's Artemis skid, there's RAG1 skid. There's many other ones. There's even some skid where 
People don't even know which gene that child carries. It's, it's basically called unknown skin. We, the patient has no immune system, but they can't identify or they haven't yet identified um, which gene causes it. We do know that ADA skin can have secondary issues because it is a metabolic disorder. And so not only is your immune system affected, but um, your hearing can be affected. Some patients are hard of hearing. Some patients have liver problems, um, eye problems. There are a lot of developmental, intellectual, and mental issues. They can have ADD. They can have um, global um, developmental delays. They can have um, basically anything, any kind of secondary disorder that you can think of an ADA patient can have. And not all of them do. And some of them don't have any. Um, and so that's basically what it is. Thank you for sharing with us, to, for us to learn more about ADA skid and which mm -hmm. is what the specific skid that your child has. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so that's how we were diagnosed. And, and she was actually very lucky because um, a lot of children who are born with skid and, and don't have or didn't have newborn screening, you know, they can pick up a cold and and die. They can, you know, and it can happen before three months. So the fact that she had these symptoms and, you know, didn't pass away and we were able to get her diagnosed and treated for the infections that she had, um, it's, it's a miracle. And, and, and that's how, that's how we became a, a skip family. <laughs> and now in the year 2021, newborn screening for severe combined immunodeficiency, also known as SCID, is now being offered in all the states in the U.S. Could you share your process in caregiving to your child with SCID? Since that with screening now, we would identify more cases than we did before screening. And we would love to hear any advice that you may give to new moms who are in a similar situation. Sure. So, uh, caregiving for a skid baby is um, now that we are in a pandemic, it's a bit relatable, though it's not the same. So I think today people would maybe understand it a little bit more. But basically, because your child doesn't have any immune system at all, um, they should not be going outside. Even the air inside the house needs to be um, HEPA filtered. Um, they have to, they, they can have um, sterile foods only. The baby's on formula. The formula has to be sterile, so they can't use powder formula. It has to be single-use bottles, which can get very expensive. <laughs> um, everything needs to be sterilized. So every, you know, silicone nipple needs to be sterilized. The syringes for their medicine needs to be sterilized after each use. Toys. If there are siblings in the house, I think some families have separated the siblings into different rooms or even had siblings stay with other family members during the time that the child is severely immunocompromised. Obviously, no visitors unless it's absolutely necessary, like only immediate caregivers. My husband still had to go to work, so I, I was at home with my daughter. My husband, as soon as he came home from work, would have to go straight into the shower and put on new clothes before picking up her up and hugging her and touching her. We Lysol wipe everything that comes in the house, groceries, 
So I know my mother came a few times and my father-in-law and my father. And when they did come to visit, they would have to be completely symptom-free, no sniffles. Even if you think it's allergies, they can't come. And when they do, they have to have, you know, basically PPE equipment on. They have to have fresh clothes that we laundered at our house, masks. They couldn't touch their cell phone. They had to, you know, wash hands and and then be able to touch her. So it's kind of like reverse isolation. You're basically making your house into kind of like a very clean operation room (laughs) for a baby. But other than that, you know, they have meds that they need to take every day, prophylactic medications, so they don't get, you know, fungal infections, some viruses, bacteria. Aside from doctor's appointments and medicine, the baby can, at least in my case, uh, my daughter was actually living pretty normally, not, not compared to other babies, but she grew up, you know, she was the only child at that time. She grew up in our apartment and it was me and her and we would read all the time and have dance parties and FaceTime family and, you know, have snack time. And she was actually very happy. You know, she had no idea what she was missing because she was so young and, and we made it work. So it's not all terrible, terrible, terrible all the time, but you do need to make sure that you're careful with your baby. The advice that I would give to parents who have a recently diagnosed skid child is they need to know that they are not alone. There are so many parents now, especially because of newborn screening. There are so many babies that are being picked up. There are so many of us who who go through the exact same thing. Parents, we've really formed like a community of family. We can help each other. We can lean on each other. We can give each other advice you know, just be there to listen and also do your research. Talk to many physicians. Don't just talk to your one immunologist. Reach out to as many skid experts in the country, around the world. From our experience doing that, I don't think that there was a single skid expert who would not help us. They knew that we would not likely not be their patient and they would still spend hours talking to us about different um, treatments, giving us advice. They really are, I would say, like medical angels. You know, they, they, they gain nothing from it. They are not going to see us as a patient. They're not going to get money from it. And they will still spend hours of their time talking to us. So do your research. Talk to physicians. Talk to parents. Parents can give advice as well. And no one skid child is going to have the same journey as another one. And so... You might get different advice from different people, and that's okay. Compile that, and you can likely, confidently make the best treatment decision or or whatever advice you're looking for for your child once you do your research. There is a a SCID Facebook group. It's called SCID Angels for Life. Uh, foundation. And it's, um, it's run by Heather Dean Smith and Barb Ballard, who are like the pioneer women of skid, I want to say. <laughs> they both have uh, or had skid children and um, that are adults now. And they, they kind of formed this community that's grown to hundreds of members. And we have Lots of parents there. There are some adult patients there. There are aunts, uncles, grandparents, and we all really share, you know, our thoughts. We share our feelings. We share advice. It is a fantastic group. I do not know what I would do without them.
I would feel alone and isolated and helpless. And because of them, I just feel like, you know what, this is kind of, this is kind of normal. When you log into that Facebook group, we're all, you know, it's all normal for us. <laughs> well, that's great to hear, Caroline. I think that's one of the reasons why MBR Stand is very focused on building communities is to bring these different voices together. And at least there, you know, you have the parent groups. And I think what makes MBR stand a little bit different is that we're trying to bring like the parents and the advocacy groups, researchers and health professions. And so bring all these communities to really exchange information and see where there's um, opportunities to help each other. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing those amazing tips and advice for new moms out there. Researchers discovered the test to screen for skid and help redefine and refine the treatment. What is one common myth about newborn screening research in SCID? One thing that my husband and I kind of thought about, um, and, and we haven't actually heard anybody say this, but we kind of were conjuring that possibly some parents or some people would think that newborn screening is more sinister than it is. It's not sinister at all. Perhaps maybe parents would think that they are, you know, entering their babies into some kind of you know, genetic database or something, or they're, you know, maybe microchipping their children or, you know, I'm not sure what. Newborn screening is a screen. They're screening for specific disorders that are really vital to know if your baby has it from the get-go. And that's basically all it is, as far as I know, as a parent. They're not chipping, they're not microchipping a baby. They're not, you know, entering your baby's DNA into some kind of national database, like, you know, with, with the, the, the genetic kits that they have today. It's, I, I, it's, I don't think it's like that. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's perfectly safe. It's a good thing to do. And it's just a screen. That's it. Before your child was diagnosed with SCID, were you aware of newborn screening? I wasn't. I, I don't think I even knew about newborn screening until after my daughter was born, when they wanted to, to do it with her. I, I can't remember if I read about it while I was pregnant or not. Um, but no, I don't think I knew or had ever heard about it until after she was born in the hospital. Uh, when I, when I found out that they were going to screen her, they, you know, they do the heel stick and then they put a drop of blood, you know, several times on this sheet of, it's not paper, but you know, it's, it's a screen paper. And they, they did give me a pamphlet that had every condition that they were going to test for that they were testing for in Virginia. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, my daughter could have any one of these. (laughs) And so I actually read um, the information about each, uh, they had like a little paragraph under each condition. I read each one specifically and it maybe worried me a little bit because I never thought about these conditions that she could possibly have. And so they told me the pediatrician would have the results within one or two weeks. And so I made a point of asking the pediatrician if she had passed her newborn screening because I had that it stuck with me that I wanted to make sure that she was clear of it. And, and she was, she was totally healthy because they weren't screening for skin at that point. I guess it's two sided. So because she wasn't picked up um, until she was about three and a half months old at that point, she already had infections and, and she could have died. And a lot of children have died. And, and so we're just so thankful, lucky, grateful that she didn't and that she's seven years old and still alive today. What do you think prospective parents should know about newborn screening? Oh, newborn screening. I mean, it's, it's such a wonderful thing because what a hundred years ago, we didn't have this. So now when your child is, is screened, you know, at birth, one or two days after they're born, right? Each state, I believe, has a different panel, but there's a panel of 
several, many tests that they can screen your baby for. Tests that um, a parent should know that their child has, that maybe, maybe symptoms wouldn't show, but when the baby tests positive, they, their life can be saved because you know that your child has a specific condition. You can treat it. You can, you can prophylactically treat it, actively treat it. Information is powerful. And, and when you know that your child has something, has a condition that needs attention, the sooner you give that baby or that condition the attention it needs, the higher likelihood that, you know, your child can be well in life. Newborn screening is so important. I echo that. <laughs> Definitely newborn <laughs> screening is important. How has being a member of Newborn Screening Translational Research Network, MBSTRN, changed your thinking on newborn screening? You know, I honestly had no idea that there were so many more conditions that <laughs> that are um, being looked at, researched, uh, whether or not they should or can be added to uh, newborn screening. Um, because there's already, I don't know how many, 20 or so, I'm guessing here, um, that are on the panel, at least in Virginia. There's so many more. And I did not know that before I, you know, joined as a member with NBSTRN, I did not know that you all were, that there was even like a network that was dedicated to researching these conditions and, and the details of them. And you guys look at, you know, ethical, moral uh, parameters. You look at, you know, whether or not it's something that's, that's important enough to be actually, you know, screened for at birth, whether or not it can wait how important it is that it needs to be added. Um, there's a lot of things I've learned. Well, definitely glad to have you, Caroline. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the I'm, I'm happy to be part of it. Yeah. And so our last signature question is, what does newborn screening research mean to you? In one sentence, it means it is, it is a life-saving um it is a life-saving procedure, I guess. It's not a procedure, but newborn screening means saving lives. Preventive medicine is, is how I look at it. When a baby is, let's take, for example, skin. The reason that it was added to newborn screening is because all of these babies were dying before they could even be diagnosed or they were diagnosed and they already had an infection and then they would die or just not do well. And so when skid was added to newborn screening, if a baby can be picked up through newborn screening, test positive for skid, you can put them in isolation, you can give them prophylactic medications, you can give them a bone marrow transplant or gene therapy, or in the case of ADA skid, they can take enzyme replacement shots. You can literally save their life. They now have a chance at living. And I know that since skid was added to newborn screening, the survival rate for skid children has just exponentially increased. And, and I know that that's the case for other conditions for newborn screening. Newborn screening really is like the first step in a baby's life once they're born um, that looks at what their medical future might be and in a good way. Um, so I think it's incredibly important for every baby to have it. 
Well, thank you so much, Caroline, for sharing your experience, your journey. I think so many mothers out there, new moms and families, physicians, health professionals can learn from your experience and how we together as a community can advance newborn screening research through these story storytelling. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. To learn how you can help advance newborn screening research, advocate for rare disease screening and treatment, and learn about important discovery, become a member of the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network by visiting our website at www.mbstrn.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of Newborn Screening Spotlight. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and share an episode with your colleagues, friends, and family. Get involved. Stay informed. Help us advance discoveries. Together, Together, let's let's increase increase the impact impact of newborn screening research by listening to your stories. stories.